Hello, hello, everyone. This is Gabrielle from A Step Ahead Tutoring Services, and welcome to our fifth episode of Hot Topics, where we talk real talk about things that are happening in education, employment, physical health, mental health, social services, psychology, or anything else that's steaming. Our hot topic today is living or life. I'm trying to figure out the best way to call it, uh, but life with a child who has multiple disabilities. So living with a child who has multiple disabilities. Well, we'll leave it at that. Uh, so I have a guest with me today who will help me with this topic. Her name is Samantha Miller. So let me tell you a little bit about her. So Samantha is a wellness coach and an energy healer in Tucson, Arizona, a former educator herself. She is now running her online business so that she can be at home to care for and homeschool her child who has multiple special needs diagnoses, which we're going to get into today. So Samantha, welcome to Hot Topics. Thanks for having me. This is great. I'm happy to be here. Awesome. So let's get into it. So you have an interesting story. Uh, please, the floor is yours. Well, thank you. So yeah, I, um, I'm a, a former educator. I've done um, everywhere from preschool up through working in special ed in um, elementary school, uh, reading, instructing, um, different areas like that. And I have a child who she's nine years old now. Um, and growing up, I, when she was growing up, I was thinking, maybe I was being a little hypersensitive to a couple of different things that I was noticing because I've worked so much in child development and special needs. Um, but, you know, just noticing a couple of like sensory issues and, and just different minor things growing up. But overall, she didn't raise any red flags in school or with any caretakers or anything, except for my husband and I noticing it, little things working with her. Um, and then we got to the point where we were noticing a lot more around the time that she was in second grade um, and it was being taken out at home. So again, teachers weren't really noticing a whole lot at school. They thought I was a little crazy. Um, I was working at the same school that she was at attending at the time when she was in public school. Um, and so I would be in constant communication with her teachers and they didn't see anything that I was talking about. They thought everything was fine. Um, so enter COVID and being at home all the time, and we were able to really notice more, get her into treatments, get some testing done, and, and really dive into exactly what is going on. Um, she was comfortable at home, so she was opening up a lot more and was able to like let her mask down, let her barriers down, and just be herself. And now she's thriving now that we're able to be home with her teaching her in a way that works best for her mentally, emotionally, um, and cognitively as well. Awesome. So you said earlier that there were a few things that you noticed. Can you talk about that? Yes. So um, the very first things that we noticed was um, starting even around like, I want to say infancy, very young baby anyway, um, a lot of anxiety issues and attachment um, needs and just noticing very anxious um, 
types of behaviors and always have all the time. It's still, still there. She definitely um, has a lot of generalized and social anxiety issues. Um, she also has always had sensory sensitivities. Um, so, you know, the types of fabric for her clothes and blankets and stuffed animals um, needed to be soft. We had to be careful with, you know, cut out all the tags. Um, she always liked her shoes to be really tight and constricting on her feet. Um, and, you know, so like she preferred the ones that were a size or two down, which isn't good for developing feet. So we always had to be careful and keep an eye on the shoes and try to hide them away because she's a little shoeaholic. Um, and um, for vestibular activities as well, she liked to be flipped upside down a lot. She was climbing everything all the time. Um, she would get really anxious when we were in stores. Shopping was hard. Uh, shopping's always hard, but shopping was extremely challenging, especially when we got to the checkout line area when she was, you know, around like toddler to preschool um, and pre-K even. And so with the background that we have, we just automatically developed kind of a system to work with her of doing push and pulls. So standing in line, she would start to get um, really just kind of acting out a lot, um, showing a lot of behaviors that were not something that people want to be in line with necessarily with that, you know, that loud child that's flailing around and pulling on everything and going everywhere. Um, so we started doing the push and pull. So we pulled our hands up and she would have to push against us and try to move us as hard as she could. And then she would have to pull our hands and try to pull us into her and just getting a lot of that um, gross motor sensory needs when she was feeling overwhelmed from the lights and the sounds and having to wait and just all the extra input that happens um, in stores, especially, but a lot of places out and about. So, I mean, that can easily be normal uh, child behavior. So how do you know that it's not... Um, where your where your daughter is developmentally as opposed mm -hmm. to like this is a serious issue and that's a really good question and at that time we figured it was just where she was developmentally it's more looking back on all of the little pieces that we didn't see at first that kind of add up now that we are at the point that we're at um with the you know actual diagnoses and all of that so as I said, like my, my background in being in early childhood development and working in special needs and all of that together, I have a lot of kind of tools in my pocket. <laughs> um, so we just automatically use those. We figured that's where she's at developmentally. This is her, that's great. Let's let her be her and, you know, just support her on her journey of, of growth. Um, as she started to get a little bit older, a lot of those behaviors that would typically go away um, with age or develop into new things as a child ages. Some of them did stay, um, at which point some family members and friends were like, are you sure that she's not on the spectrum? And I was like, no, she's not. You know, she's, because in my brain, a typical child um, on the autism spectrum met certain criteria, um, which I think it does for a, a lot of people think that in order to be diagnosed as being on the autism spectrum, what she is. Um, you know, there's, there's flapping, there's rocking, there's repetitive sounds, 
you know, different things like that. A lot of the physical stimming that, um, you know, you typically think of, but for girls, it's a lot different. And we didn't realize it at that time. Um, there's more research about it, like more recently in the last few years. Um, so it's kind of adjusting the way everybody thinks about it, which is great. Um, so she can actually get the support that she needs um, in order to really flourish. But, but yeah, so that, that could have been typical behavioral things. Um, it still is present today at nine years old, um, very similar to how it was back when she was two and a half, three years old. Um, so that part is what really kind of stands out as a little atypical. Okay. So now let's, let's, let's continue on the journey. So you realize that these behaviors are not typical for a, a child of her age and mm -hmm. you decide to have her evaluated. So tell us yeah. what happened there. So we had her, um, a couple things. So around the age seven, um, she was first diagnosed with Tourette's syndrome. Um, so we had been noticing some um, physical and vocal tics for about a year at that point. And so her, her pediatrician at that point agreed, yeah, that looks like Tourette's syndrome. Um, and then at around the time that um, COVID hit and we started going to online schooling through her public school, her anxiety was to the point where she was very depressed, actually. And she was anxious and unable to function. She was depressed and to a point that was very concerning. Um, so we brought her into therapy and doing the online therapy, they were able to give her um, the diagnosis of OCD. So she also has OCD, um, which is a lot of intrusive thoughts um, is the big one for her. So it's not just light switches and, and door handles, but it can be the, the thought process that goes with it as well. Um, and then her therapist thought that maybe there was a little bit more than what she was able to help us with at that point. So it wouldn't hurt to get her to do a full evaluation. Um, so it was, I wanna say like October, so almost a year ago now, we took her to a specialist, um, pediatric specialist to do the full screening. And it was a really big decision. It was not easy for my husband or I to do by any means. Um, it was a big three hour exam that just like seems so daunting to us. You know, our child who is scared to go around to anybody else and would have to do this without us in the room. And for three hours, like she can't hold attention span that long. Um, you know, it was just a lot of stress on us. Are we doing the right thing or not? But the doctor was wonderful. And Sadie absolutely loved it. Um, it was, you know, the one-on-one -on -one attention. She thought it was super fun. They got to do great things. And at the end, we got the results um, back and we're very surprised because it showed that there were some areas where she was considered severely on the spectrum. It was more um, like the social aspects, um, understanding a lot of nonverbal communication is very hard for her. 
um, joking, puns, uh, you know, social cues, just all those general things that kids are going to need in order to really strive in a social atmosphere were not there for her. And we knew it was challenging, but we didn't realize how challenging it was. Um, and yeah, so and that was that was interesting. And then the doctor brought up other topics for us to look at, saying, you know, there was also ADHD. Um, and it's like, well, yeah, she doesn't have an attention span. Yeah, I guess that makes sense. But it, again, it wasn't the typical what you think automatically with ADHD. You know, the teachers, when I brought the information back to them, was like, can you believe this? They they thought it was just blew their minds because she was such a quiet student. She was quiet. She did her work. She doesn't want to trouble anybody. Um, turns out she was, when she was in the public school system, she was masking all day. So she was um, able to kind of like put up a little barrier and keep all of what she was feeling inside and then bounce back to other people what she perceived as being the social norm um, to try to fit in. So even if she didn't understand what was going on, she was trying to show everybody that she did and portray that way. And she was really good at it. So it's been interesting. <laughs> it sounds interesting. So, <clears throat> so let's recap, right? So you find out that she has autism, that she has OCD, which stands for obsessive compulsive disorder. I'm just going to put that out there. Yes. Thank you. And ADHD, which is attention deficit hyperactivity disorder. Okay, good. Yes. Trying to remember my acronyms. You did so, great. <laughs> thank you. So we have autism, mm -hmm. OCD, ADHD, anxiety, and Tourette syndrome. And Tourette syndrome. That is <laughs> a lot. <laughs> it is. Yes. It's a whole lot in the little package. <laughs> so what's what's that like? you know, finding out that it's not just one, it's not just two, it's not just three, but, you know, there's five, you know, what, mm -hmm. what were you feeling? What emotions were, were going yeah. through and your, your husband? Yeah, honestly, relief. I think that was the first thing. Um, it's all these things that we have been kind of helping her manage over time and trying to understand, like, okay, so, you know, this was the response to what we said or did here, or this is something that keeps happening and trying to figure out why, trying to figure out how to best help her, because all we want is to support her so that she can grow and, you know, be the best at whatever she wants to be. You know, we want her to be happy. We want her to, to absolutely thrive. Um, so getting those diagnoses, it's always hard to hear, and it kind of like hits, and you kind of have to take a minute to just kind of let us sink in, but then it's total relief. So we know, okay, this is why this is happening. This is how I can support. You know, if we change our wording, that's going to help prevent, you know, this big meltdown um, or this frustration that is just going to put the rest of the day on stop because we won't be able to get past that level of frustration. Um, so it's helped us be really aware of what we do, how we say things, um, how we plan our day, uh, just 
every little bit of that so that we can set things up for success. Right, and now that these issues have a name to it, now you know how to address it. Right, yep, it's a lot easier. Awesome. It was hard to go through the process at first, but we're so glad that we did because that really makes a huge difference in making sure she has what she needs. So I, I hear from other parents that they're afraid of the labels because they're afraid of the treatment that the child will get. They're afraid of uh, being, the child being ostracized. Uh, they're afraid of like the family being embarrassed things like that. So how, how do, how do you, but I mean, from what you're telling me, it sounds like you, you feel the complete opposite, like that, you know, you don't, you're not worried about being embarrassed, ostracized, things like that. I feel both sides. Um, I kind of, I, I get both of them. So the way that we kind of figure it is like, if you are somebody that's in our child's life, and you, you know, you truly love our child, you help take care of our child, you know, so teachers, um, family members, whatever kind of situation it is, um, you, you need to know a little bit at least about what's going on so that you can communicate the way that she needs you to communicate with her so that there aren't the misunderstandings or, you know, emotional breakdowns because of this feeling being hurt or that thing happening, all of that, you know, complete package. So some people do need to know some of the information, at least, if not all of it, so that they can help her and communicate properly. Um, so I think having people know is really important and helpful. I also have firsthand experience, <laughs> other people finding out that don't need to know. Um, and then they, they sometimes do put the labels on, they kind of back away a little bit. Um, so, you know, when she was in the public school system, she had a, you know, a group of friends um, and the parents were, would talk while the kids were playing, uh, you know, typical play date parent group kind of stuff. Um, and little bits would come out, little bits here and there, just kind of talking about life in general and how parents talk, it just kind of happens, but I never really explain all of it. I don't go all out to everybody that doesn't need to know. Um, and just the little bits of information that they did gather was enough to kind of separate a little bit. So there was that time that was really hard, big transition, finding out, okay, who can kind of handle it and who just sees the stereotypes instead of my child. And so that was, that was a little hard, but that's part of life and it helps you grow to learn, you know, how to find your right people, I guess. Awesome. All right. So let's continue the journey. So now, you know, we have our diagnoses and now it's back to school with this information. What happens there? Well, luckily, I think luckily anyway, for her right now, um, we figured out since you know, all school went online for the beginning of the COVID part. Um, online learning was a lot easier for her. So we are actually doing um, a homeschool system for her through online learning. And so that's working out really well. So we don't have to worry about 
the IEP process or our teachers or, you know, any of that um, for her, we've set up a program that works in the way that her learning style is. And she is loving it and absolutely thriving in school and learning so much and doing it in a way that she needs with minimal pressure um, on her and in a time frame with flexibility that she needs in order to really succeed. Well, she wasn't always homeschooled though. No, that's a recent thing. This is her second year. So what happened? What made you, so I guess let's talk about that. What made you decide to homeschool her? What does homeschool <laughs> offer that the regular um, school system does not? Absolutely. So um, every school system is different. So I can only speak specifically to the one that we were attending at the time. Um, but when she's in the public school system, there was a lot of her anxiety flare-ups. Um, she felt a lot of the social anxiety pressures, um, even just sitting in the classroom, not wanting to disturb everybody, um, and but wanting to make sure she's doing the same as everybody else, which she was getting to the point where she was realizing that she was a little bit different, um, which was causing a lot more anxiety. So she was worrying about, with the Tourette syndrome, she was worrying about having tics at school and the other children noticing and making fun of her or disturbing the class with it. Um, math is really hard for her. Um, and so she was worried about not being at the same level as everybody else. She's competitive and she wants to do really well and please everybody. So she always wanted to be the first one. She always wanted to do the best in the class. She always, you know, just puts her so much pressure on herself. And so we found that she was actually more in survival mode uh, when she was at school than actually learning and doing well and thriving as a person and developing the way that she should be. So when we moved her to homeschooling, she was able to realize, okay, I need a break right now because that is what my brain or my body needs. So I'm gonna step away and take it. Um, or, you know, I don't understand this very well and that's okay. So I'm gonna take the time to really learn it and get the help that I need. So my husband and I are able to, you know, communicate in a way that makes sense to her, specific to her needs, not specific to the whole class um, and make sure that she understands before moving on to the next thing. So, I mean, kind of going back to the public school system, I mean, they do have accommodations for, you know, students with, um, who have special needs. So there might be smaller classrooms or one-on-one -on -one attention, um, extended test time, um, things like that. So mm -hmm. did any of those accommodations help your daughter while she was in, while she, while she was in school? Um, while she was in school, so we didn't have the specific diagnoses at that point in time. Um, it was all after, um, after COVID and online schooling that we got all the official diagnoses. We were in the process of trying to figure out what was going on when she was in public school. Um, at that point, we were able to get what's called a 504 plan for her. Um, and that allowed her to be able to kind of step out when her anxiety was building up or if she was just needing to, to move around a little bit 
um, or if she was, you know, feeling a tick attack coming on, anything like that, she'd be able to leave the classroom um, without, didn't have to ask permission, could just get up and go um, and, you know, take a lap around the school, take a couple breaths of fresh air before coming back in when she was ready. Um, but that didn't really work well for her. She was kind of embarrassed, I think, to use it because that was a special treatment that not everybody got. So then kids would start asking, why do you get to do this? Um, which when you have social anxiety, <laughs> that can be a really big deal. Um, and as far as the accommodations, so it's surprising, but I've worked in a couple different states within the school system. So I've seen how each state and even each district within a state has its own um, accommodations available. So the specific school that we were at, she would not have been able, would not have been considered eligible for any kind of accommodations. Um, if we were to go back now and with her diagnoses and the information from the doctor to create an IEP, it still would just be accommodations within the classroom. Um, she would, it, they didn't have any kind of specific room or program. There weren't one-on-ones available unless it was a very extreme case, which she's not. Um, so yeah, it was, she was like right on that, that fine line, that gray area for what they considered need. Um, even though personally her needs were very much more than what she was able to get. Right. So because of the, her anxiety with what the other students might, uh, might treat her and of course, peer pressure is a big thing when it comes to when it comes to kids. You know, she was worried about that. Um, you know that, and then the fact you didn't get all the accommodations. Is, is that my understanding? That that you that you felt that she needed that you decided that to homeschool. Yeah, yeah, we kind of decided all together. We were able to try it out for a little while before the actual school year started to see if she liked it and she was felt a lot happier and asked us to maintain it. And she had the choice again this year to go back to public school or try homeschooling. She chose homeschooling again. So. Great. So let's let's get into that a little bit. Um, so how are you what what's it like? So how are you homeschooling her? What's what's the structure? Yeah. Get into that a little bit. So the way that uh, my daughter learns best is through videos. Um, so you could call it like a screenaholic, but she learns a lot more through watching something um, than she does from one-on-one -on -one interaction with her parents anyway. Um, so we found a program online that it's pre-recorded lessons um, from teachers, they're actual teachers. And so she goes on, logs into her school, watches the video. It's um, brief videos. I think they're all around like five to 10 minutes a piece, and then it goes into some questions that she has to answer questions um, to make sure that she understands what they were talking about. So it's great because it's shorter video chunks for her um, attention span, it's perfect. And then she has to show mastery before she can move on to the next one. So if she doesn't answer the correct percentage, um, 
correctly, then she has to rewatch the videos and they have uh, more in-depth tutorials on the information covered until she actually shows that she has mastered that part. Okay. So it's been great. So you, you chose an online program for her. So mm -hmm. um, I know other homeschool parents, like they're more hands-on and they're, you know, they don't, they don't use the online system. They, they're mm -hmm. the teachers themselves. Right. Um, so do you still have a, a hands-on role or is it really just, you leave it up to the school, the online program, I should say. Right. No, I definitely still have a hands-on role. Um, I tried teaching her a little bit myself. It does, it doesn't work very well. Mother, daughter, she's getting into the tween years and starting, you know, so um, what I do is I'm, I'm always close by. So I sit and do my work next to her while she does hers. And so I can kind of hear what they're saying. Um, and I can help sometimes the, the questions that she's trying to answer. It's written in a way that she just doesn't understand what they're saying. So I have to go in and reword what they're asking. Um, or, you know, if she, the same as when they're talking, if she's not understanding something, then we'll go in and reword it and we'll work it on our own. And so I'll kind of step in and, um, tutor within that, um, that subject, whatever it is, as she's going through the videos. So we are hands-on as well. Um, but the majority of it is through the online school. Um, and then we like to supplement with other fun hands-on things, um, different life skills activities that she finds fun to do. So like recently she and I have been working on building or working on gardening or cooking and getting the science and the math and the hands-on work in those as well. Awesome. Awesome. So now there's the question of now that she's homeschooling, um, how, how does it work in terms of interaction with her, with her peers? Cause she's, you know, by herself doing right. this online program. So how does it work in terms of socialization and, you yeah. know, helping her to, to meet other people? Yeah, that part is something that we definitely have to put, a, you know, a lot of thought and energy into to make sure that that is maintained as well, because especially being um, on the autism spectrum and having the issues with the social interaction, we want to make sure that that part doesn't lack. Um, so she does have um, a group of friends that sometimes will be able to meet up and do little play dates, um, you know, go to parks or meet up and play outside in the yard. Um, they also do a lot of like virtual play dates. So, you know, it's not quite the same as one-on-one, -on -one, but sometimes it's a little bit easier for her to handle because um, then, you know, she has her items in her little space and nobody else is touching them. And she doesn't have to worry about being in a space that she's not familiar with or comfortable with, um, which is a, a big thing uh, for her being able to, to have that kind of like safety zone. And we also get her involved in some activities. So she's been loving rock climbing um, and we're looking into a couple new sport activities, do some music activities um, that are around in town and just to get her involved in that and meet friends along the way. So something that she enjoys doing and they can kind of do like parallel activities is best for her at this point still. So she could set that practice in. So it sounds like you're 
So it's like you're taking a proactive role in in getting her socialized as opposed, yeah. you know, it's with homeschooling, it seems like you have to kind of, I don't want to say push it, but it kind of encourage socialization yeah. as opposed to like public school. It may be a lot easier because they're around kids all day. Uh, right. So it sounds like you're taking more of a proactive role. Yes. Yeah, I'm trying to make sure that it's in environments where she feels comfortable and activities that she's happy doing. I think that makes a big, big difference when, you know, you have the social anxiety and um, communication issues as well. To be able to be in a, a comfortable environment um, is a big help for that. So I'm wondering now, so did you ever talk to your daughter about her diagnoses? Often, yes. Yes. Do you mind going into that? A little Absolutely. Bit. So she, um, before we had the official diagnoses, when we were working on the process of getting them and getting that appointment set up, she, like I said before, she was noticing that she was different. She was feeling different. She was very aware of what she was going through. Um, and she kept saying, you know, everything is so hard. Why is everything so hard? And was really down on herself, um, which is awful to have to go through for her and as a parent. So after we got the, the diagnosis back from the doctor, um, we sat down and had a conversation with her about it. And we kind of explained, since there are so many, <laughs> we kind of explained like, okay, so have you heard of this before? It's something she hadn't had not. Um, just from school and being around other people. Um, so we'd give her the, you know, the name of it. And then just a brief definition of what that meant for her. And we let her know that just because you, you know, have ADHD and present this way doesn't mean that everybody with ADHD is the same. Everybody's different. Um, but for you, this is what it is. And so we kind of went through the whole thing. and she felt a lot better afterwards. And she's like, I understand myself now. Like, it makes sense. So it's not me being weird. It, there's a reason for it. So even as she was eight years old at the time, even at eight years old, you know, she had that um, ability to, to acknowledge that and to really take that in. Um, there are times when she forgets certain parts. Um, I think we've had the conversation of what is autism about eight or nine times already. She keeps forgetting that one, but every time we explain it and just, you know, repeat it again um, and how it pertains to her because it's so different for everybody. Um, and every time she's like, oh, oh, that makes sense. And then we talk about how it can be her superpower. You know, what is something positive about this? What are some really great things about it? And really turn it into an empowering thing instead of letting it be something negative because that's the last thing that we want. There's no need for it to be negative. So we use that as like her superpower to know about herself and be able to use that for good. So can you go into that part a little bit more about how you turn it into a superpower, how you turn it into, um, um, you said the word empowerment. So mm -hmm. can, can you talk about that a little bit more? Yeah, I think it's really, really easy for somebody to feel very down on themselves um, when they have this 
label thrown on them. It's really easy for somebody to um, think, you know, I'm less than because of this, or I won't be able to do whatever things, you know, they might think of, um, you know, because I have this limitation. But our perspective in our household anyway, is that it's not, it's not a limitation. It's just a different way of thinking. So, you know, maybe like with the, her autism and the, and the social connections. Yeah. You, you can't read facial expressions. You know, you're not going to understand when somebody's being sarcastic, but you know what, that makes you a really honest friend. You know, you are a very honest person and that is so good and turn that into, you know, really empowering. You know, you're not going to lie to people. You're not going to tell them stories just to tell them what you think they want to hear because she doesn't have that. That's not how her brain works. Um, you know, you are honest and you're going to be honest. You're so kind hearted. You're going to lift people up and tell them what the truth is. And that's going to be really powerful. Right. So you, you, it's, I know in the, in the mental health field, we call it cognitive restructuring. Uh, yeah. So you're pretty much, you're, yeah. you're changing the way that she thinks about, you know, her, her issue, her, what do you call it? Her issues? What's the right her word? Challenges. Her? her challenges. Her challenges. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> right. Absolutely. So how, how are things now? How are, how are things today? They're good. It's been a big process. And I think it always will be because especially as she's, you know, growing in the different stages of the brain as you develop through, you know, puberty and teenage and into adulthood, everybody goes a little bonkers then anyway. So it's always going to be changing and developing. Um, but we've learned so much on our own and as a family unit. And we've really been able to like make the best of everything and just really set ourselves up for success, set her up for feeling really good about herself. Really, you know, she knows she's smart. She's enjoying school. She's loving everything that she's doing um, and has a lot of confidence, which is great. So hopefully we can keep that up as she goes on. Awesome. So now... <clears throat> Well, you said in the beginning that you, I guess you had this background, you, you like you already knew um, what to look for in terms of behaviors that were atypical. Can you go into your background a little bit? Yeah, so I um, did my undergrad in music education um, with a concentration in special education. And then I've done a lot of work in um, early childhood development, as well as working in um, the special ed realm uh, for elementary school. Um, I've also done a behavior modification program um, through a foster care system. Um, so I've done a lot of different aspects of development um, and just, yeah, <laughs> it's, it's been a lot of background knowledge and using it in a lot of different ways. And so being able to have all of that kind of in my back pocket was a huge help in just kind of automatically being able to have tools 
that I can help her with and, and use as she grows. And so it wasn't anything that was super overwhelming for us. It just kind of, we rolled with it and um, we're able to, to help her along the way that way. Awesome. So now, um, do you mind going into um, each of the disorders and maybe defining what each of them are and then explaining how they apply to your daughter? So we'll, we'll take one at a time. So let's, let's go with autism. Sure. And I'm going to do my best. I am not a certified professional. It's, it's okay. That's all right. Let's... Um, so the autism spectrum disorder is it's a huge, huge spectrum. Um, it covers a lot of different things like sensory processing can be part of it. You can have sensory processing and not be on the autism spectrum, so it gets a little tricky. Um, it's a, basically a communication disorder, so it's the way that you take information in and get information out. So the information can be things like speech, you know, not understanding what people are saying and meaning um, with different social cues or things like sarcasm and joking around. It can also be not being able to speak the words um, yourself. There are some that are nonverbal as well. It can be things like taking in lights or sounds um, or, you know, all of the, the different sensory inputs that way as well can be very overwhelming. Um, some people do find ways to kind of, just kind of ground themselves and help themselves through it, which they call stimming. So it can be just different things with hands or your body that they do in repetitive uh, ways that can help them kind of feel better and kind of, I'm not coming up with the word, but kind of, I just kind of like ground and center themselves um, as much as they can to help regulate. There we go. Awesome. All right. OCD, obsessive compulsive disorder. That one um, is most well known for somebody that is like an obsessive cleaner, is a germaphobe, um, somebody that, you know, feels the need to, you know, do light switches or, or door handles multiple, multiple times, um, which that is very much can be a part of it, but it's not the only part. The biggest thing with obsessive compulsive disorder is that it is intrusive thoughts. Um, so this can be things like, um, for her it's thinking, part of it is there's somebody outside, there's somebody bad outside, and that is gonna have a huge impact on anything inside the house. Um, or, you know, something really bad is going to happen. Um, and it just kind of takes over and it's all encompassing, um, which for some people that can be why they do the repetitive motions several times. Um, you know, I don't believe I locked the door until I did it X amount of times. Um, and then, you know, my body will understand that I did. And for my daughter, it was more, um, you know, something really, really bad is gonna happen. There's somebody really, really bad outside. And just this overwhelming fear. Um, and so we would have to, you know, check out the window though everything is fine. But then we eventually learned how to help her with it because actually doing that check was not very helpful. It was actually feeding into it. Um, but yeah, so it's just something that kind of takes over the thought process and, and takes over 
that whole time period of your day that it's kind of in your head there. Awesome. All right. Tourette syndrome. Tourette syndrome is a neurological um, disorder where basically there's, there's little neurological misfirings in the brain. So um, the person will have for it to actually be Tourette's instead of just a, a tick disorder, you have to have verbal and physical, um, both of them. So for my daughter, she does a lot of different breathing ones. Um, so she's not actually saying words or making sounds with her vocal cords. For her ver verbal tics, it is different ways of breathing um, that it's just abnormal abnormal breathing patterns that she does is kind of like a, a regulation. Um, and then she also does different movements with her hands, legs, arms, and face and her head. She just still started a new neck and shoulder one. Um, so it's just abnormal movements at various times <laughs> during the day. Um, so it can be a little disturbing sometimes for some people around her, but if you know what's going on, then it's just, she can't help it, it is what it is. So you just learn to ignore it and it'll stop eventually. <laughs> okay. All right, now anxiety. So her anxiety is generalized anxiety. So um, she does have not gigantic anxiety attacks or panic attacks during the day, but there are many times during the day where her anxiety will act up and she will get very panicked. Um, and requires a lot of reassuring um, that different things are okay. Yes, this is planned, everything is okay. It's gonna be taken care of. Um, and for her, we also, with this, we have to make sure that events that are coming up, we don't tell her about ones that are way down the line um, or else that will be an all-encompassing anxiety-ridden thing for her, like right now, like if we started talking about Halloween now, she would start planning her costume and everything would be, you know, all-encompassing about Halloween because she'd be so anxious that it wouldn't get done in time. Um, she also has social anxiety, so being around people is really hard for her. Um, she's afraid of what people are thinking, if she's disturbing them, um, and people that she doesn't know, just kind of in general. So like if we go out into public, she's always right by my side and very anxious about all of the people around her if they're going to say anything or do anything to her. And finally, ADHD or attention deficit hyperactivity disorder. Yes. Um, for her, she has the combined type. So there's, um, there's the physical element uh, where it's physically hyperactive. And then there's the part where it's more of a mentally hyperactive um, and hers is combined, which means that sitting still uh, for long periods of time is hard. There are um, times where she just needs to, to fidget to, you know, we have a giant trampoline and um, other things like that so she can get our energy out physically because that just really manifests in a big way for her. Um, but also mentally, sometimes she will just kind of go off in thought. Um, Listening for a long period of time is very hard. You have to kind of keep things very short and sweet and to the point. Um, and, you know, talk in, in smaller segments and make sure that she actually heard you understood. Because half the time she's gone off and thinking about something else that's sparkly way over here. And um, yeah. 
Awesome. So let's, we're just gonna wrap it up here. So what, um, what advice would you give to parents who, um, who have children with disabilities and, you know, they have to, they have to manage, um, they have to manage all that. Um, so what advice would you give to, to the parents out there that, um, that are going through uh, what you're going through? Or, I mean, I, I think you're a unique case, but, um, you <laughs> know, but is. just anybody. So just parents who have children with disabilities, what advice would you yeah. give to them? I think the biggest thing is don't be afraid to ask for help and don't feel like you're alone. Um, so, you know, it can be really challenging to ask for, you know, the doctor's help in getting the diagnoses because that can be a really challenging thing, but it's worth it so that you know how to help handle everything and help your child the best that you can. Um, but also ask for help. There's so many groups online um, of people going through similar situations and from my experience, everybody is so, it's, it's just such a great community and everybody's so helpful and, you know, welcoming and warming and they've been through it too. So they understand because a lot of times it's easy to feel like nobody else understands, nobody else is going through it. You're very alone, but you're not. Awesome. And sorry, just one last question. So mm -hmm. I know, I mean, I know you have the educational background. So in terms of figuring out how to handle all these diagnoses? Did you kind of figure it out yourself? Did you have a support system? How did that work? Um, I think my husband and I were a good support system for each other on that. Um, we live across the country from our family. So it's just kind of us at the time. Um, and it, you know, it, it worked out. We both have quite the background and he's a psychologist. So he was knowledgeable in it as well. So for us, we were lucky. We had the background knowledge and we were able to lean on each other and support each other during that time. Um, but yeah, I think, you know, if you're going through it by yourself, if you don't have that background, then definitely reach out to the communities that, you know, you can find them on Facebook um, or different places online or possibly in your local community as well of parents that are going through similar things. It's been extremely helpful that way too. Awesome. All right, so Ms. Miller, thank you so much for taking this time to, to interview with me. This was very, very enlightening. And I hope to our viewers, this was enlightening as well. So Ms. Miller, Samantha Miller, she is a wellness coach. Uh, a wellness coach, a Reiki, Reiki master, Re yeah. Reiki. Reiki. Uh, okay. She's a Reiki master and a crystal healer. She runs her businesses through Instagram. So she has two Instagram accounts, which I will provide in the bio, but one of them is called Sam underscore on the bright side. And that mm -hmm. one is for wellness coaching and special needs parenting. And the other one is called Samantha Miller Energy Healing, all one word. And that is for energy healing and wellness coaching. So again, I will put all of this in the bio. She, Ms. Miller, is passionate about helping people, especially the busy and the overwhelmed parents, 
feel balanced and well through a holistic approach and relearn how to make themselves a priority again. So if you are looking for any kind of assistance or help or you need understanding um, for your, your child who may have special needs or just you want to improve your energy, things like that. So I definitely recommend uh, Samantha Miller and definitely follow her on Instagram and reach out to her as well. So guys, thank you for joining us today. Please check out our YouTube channel for more videos and clips. And don't forget to subscribe. And you can also find us on our other social media. We are on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Thank you so much for tuning in, you guys. Signing off. Bye.